Hello and welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Boilers. I'm your host, Connor. I'm joined as always by my lovely father, Chris. Chris, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm fighting the after effects of a of a head cold, so if I sound a little baritone or froggy from the little rascalish, um, that's why. Well, you got that good you got that good radio podcasting voice going right now. Real gravelly, mm-hmm. real real deep bass. Okay. That's that's what they like in the business. Okay. So, uh, let's just go ahead and kind of get right into it with uh, the Boilermakers. Big weekend. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And Purdue football and basketball certainly did. Uh, the football team becoming bowl eligible for the second time in as many years under Coach Brom, knocking off uh, that, that school down south 28-21 in Bloomington. And, you know, Dad, I don't know, you and I have kind of, we talked briefly about it, but really I think it showed a great deal of fight from this team to be able to come from an 0-3 start to get to a bowl game. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, they really put themselves behind the eight ball early in the year with dropping three non-conference games that were all technically scheduled W's, right? Right. And uh, to turn the ship around and and be able to get to six and bowl eligibility, that's a, that's a pretty neat accomplishment. And, I mean, I, at least, for one, am really super happy for this group of seniors who have gone from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs in their four years um, between the two different programs. So what a cool capstone for them to be able to go to the second, second bowl game in a row, which is yet to be determined, but we're certainly eligible and Pretty neat. Happy for a guy like David Blau or Markel Jones who have had their tough times in Lafayette, and they go out on a high mark. Pretty cool. Pretty neat stuff for them. Yeah, well, you talk about, like, David Blau. I mean, two years ago, he led the country in turnovers. <laughs> he threw, like, almost 30 interceptions as a sophomore. Yeah. And he was he was objectively terrible, right? I mean, not to – to be too blunt about it, but you know, he turned the ball over a lot and he showed a lot of talent and for him, you know, he, he had his opportunity, right? He could have graduated. He could have gone and played at any number of schools, power five and and maybe group of five this year, but he stuck it out. He earned that starting role and he has guided this team marvelously through marvelously through the, uh, through the home stretch of the season been really, really happy for him and, and kind of echoing, like you said, just been good to see him find success on the gridiron here at Purdue. Well, I'm reminded of a, a famous quote from uh, former president Kennedy that uh, success has many fathers and failures and orphan. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why this team's been successful and, and have been able to accomplish the things that they've been able to accomplish this year. But, We would all be remiss if we didn't point out that David Blau was a huge part of that. His leadership on the field, off the field, the example that he sets uh, for the younger players and how he prepares is immeasurable value. Uh, You touched on a little bit. He set an unbelievable example, walk the walk and talk and talk, about how do you deal with adversity? He was not very good as a sophomore. Right. Right. so, so as a junior and had a senior year coming off an injury that frankly could have been a career ending injury. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just what a great story. What a great representative of the program and the university and what a student athlete should be and what the value of athletics is the college level in an environment where there's a lot of discussion about what is the real merit of college athletics. Um, David Blau is a great example of what's good about the game and about amateur sports in, uh, in the college environment. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I don't think that there ha- has been a guy who would be better suited to be the face of this program and really of Purdue athletics. Cause you know, football really is kind of the face um, then, then David, you know, his work in South Africa, yeah, you know, yeah. what he does, his, his very obvious, genuine connection to Tyler Trent, um, you know, hit him being open about some of the struggles that he has had with turnovers with, you know, his, his mother is a cancer survivor. Yeah. You know, he has been very open about some of the struggles they've had from, from being a six foot kid from Texas that nobody really wanted and was pretty under recruited you know he has shouldered all of that exceptionally well and like you said has just found a way to to get over that adversity and and find success and a lot of that is uh credit to um the the fresh-faced newcomer who wears number four rondell moore and uh somehow rondell has found a way to all and and surprise us each and every week. And this week it was him kind of taking the top off the defense, finally got a couple of looks on the deep ball and, and just was able to beat some guys. Well, I mean, the hallmark of great players in any sport is that they raise the level of play of those around them. And, and sports is um, chocked full of examples of that, right? If you look at uh, mm-hmm. a Michael Jordan, right? I mean, Horace Grant, good player in his own right, but probably not as great as he was given that he played with a guy named Michael Jordan. You know, look at a Wayne Gretzky, uh, golly, let's just go through him. I mean, a Larry Bird, uh, a LeBron James as a contemporary example. I mean, they just, you know, Kobe Bryant, they look, they raise the level of play of those around them. Yeah. And I see that in this young guy, Rondell Moore. He mm-hmm. raises the level of competitiveness on the field for himself, but everyone around him, he makes others better. And, you know, whether that's because of his presence, you know, allows Isaac Zico and a, uh, Terry Wright to get single coverage to the yeah. fact that he's just a, an unbelievable specimen athletically, competitively in practice and lays, and just raises the level, level of practice. Uh, he's, he's truly a unique talent um, evidenced by this first season. And he's definitely on the map nationally. And he's the first of many to come under the Jeff Brom era. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But he's he is one of those rare birds that raises not only his level of play, but everyone around him, David Blau included. David Blau's a lot better quarterback with Rondell Moore lining up in the slot than without. Well, and yeah, and it's – I've had, I had somebody ask me, uh, about why do they throw so many quick screens to Rondell? And, and they were like, I don't understand it. You know, he gets so many of those only end up being like two, three yard gains. And I looked at him and I was like, because any one of those he could bust and take to the house. Why do you isolate a guy in the open court in basketball? Yeah, exactly. Because my, my, part- my kid with the ball against your kid defensively in open space, advantage me, game on, let's go. 
Right. Like, why does Carson Edwards shoot 40-footers? Well, because he hits them in a high clip. Because he can make them. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, Jeff Brom has done such a great job of of using Rondell, not only getting him physical touches, but just using him as a decoy in a way to draw eyes on from defenders to get other guys open, kind of like you talked Mm -hmm. about. One perfect example from this past game, I think it was uh, Matt Stevens, who works at uh, Golden Black, pointed this out on Twitter. That first touchdown pass to Zico, if you go back and you watch the replay, Rondell runs like a little like five-yard hitch and pulls two guys with him, including right. the safety right. who's supposed to have the over-the-top right. matchup. And right. that allows Rondell just to keep running to the pylon. Well, we saw we saw that a little bit with uh, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. right? And then they crashed the safeties down on Rondell, and that, that's why Terry, Terry Wright had a career day. I mean, he just attracts a lot of attention, <laughs> excuse me, defensively, and that makes other guys better. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. There's well, that there's that cold I was telling you about showing up. Yeah, hey, that's okay. People people will forgive you for being sick. Um but you know, the one thing I thought was interesting, so I I had went to meet I went and met a friend of mine uh, at the Stack Pickle on Thursday, which is the, the day that Jeff Brom does his yeah. Radio show. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was I was just sitting in there, uh, you know, kinda in the back, just listening to, to Brom talk and, and talk with Tim Newton. Uh-huh. And I thought it was really interesting there uh, Tim Newton asked him about guys that they would be looking for, maybe grad transfer wise, heading mm-hmm. into the off season. Interesting question. It, yeah, it was it's an excellent question, especially given the the situation with Louisville, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Okay. But the one thing that, that Brom said was he said I feel like we're really good at our skill position, which obviously with Rondell, that makes a lot of sense. But I think a lot of people forget that there are three kids in Jordan Bonner, Ahmad Anderson Jr. and Corey Taylor, who are all currently redshirting, who are three wide receivers who I expect to make an impact next year. Yeah, I won't disagree with you. I mean, they kind of stashed them and hit them right. to get the extra year competition from them in it, you know, next season. They're, I think they're quite capable of playing this year if they had needed them. Yes. Sig Zico and Terry Wright particularly came along so well in the last half of the season that you didn't need didn't need to play them. We stayed healthy, knock on wood. It's a big part of it. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. have injuries in the receiver court. Really. No, no, we did not. No, not really. And and really, you got to give, like you said, give a ton of credit to Isaac Zico and Terry Wright. Those guys became playmakers and reliable ones. I, I think that we all knew physically – that they had the ability to be deep threats, but it was a matter of could they run the right route? Could they get to the right spot? Could they make the catch when they were in the right spot? And both of those guys, especially Zico, have yeah. made some really tough plays in one-on-one coverage. He almost became clutch. Yeah. Which he was anything but a year ago. I mean, he didn't even know the route tree a year ago. Quite big right. Frank. And uh, he became clutch. Again, go back to the Wisconsin game. I mean, his touchdown in overtime was a clutch catch. It was unbelievable. I mean, a great yeah. throw from David, mm-hmm. right, in that back right corner. But, man, Isaac Zico made a play. Yes. So those guys came along and played really well. They stayed healthy. You didn't need those younger guys. And as a coaching staff, that gives you the luxury of redshirting those guys. And now you got four years with them. But I think they will all be able to contribute next year. Yeah, well, and, and on the other side of the ball, defensively, 
I don't think that there was enough love given to the defense. They lose Lorenzo on that first series. And those guys stepped it up, played, played really, really well. Now, I think some of it was that Mike DeBoer, the offensive coordinator at IU, said, well, I've got this running back who's averaging five yards a carry, but let's throw on first down. Well, there's certainly room for questioning for, some for of that question, strategy. But, but but the Purdue's defensive guys made plays. You know, Navon Mosley had a clutch interception. Uh, he has been somebody who the Monday Morning Boiler podcast has been pr- pretty down on, really kind of the secondary as a whole. Navon Mosley led the team in tackles. Led the team in tackles and had the pick in the fourth quarter that kind of yeah. sealed the deal. Yeah, he played – really well i mean for the first time all season really he struggled at times yeah that's just that's just a fact he has he was really pretty serviceable i thought that giovanni revere had some bright spots got another sack had a sack uh anthony watts was really good in relief i had zero idea until they said it on the broadcast yesterday and i bet you don't know this either do you know anthony watts is only a sophomore no i did not know that i thought he was a junior no, had he's only a sophomore. Really, only playing uh, his first, first man, real so snaps of football he's this as, year. He's as green as grass, right? Like yeah. I was going through the depth chart. Um, I think that Lorenzo is the only guy out of the secondary that's going to be gone out of the front seven, it, like because Bailey's only a junior, right? And so, unless he decides to go to the draft, which he could totally do. Uh, yeah, okay. I don't know that it would be the wisest of decisions, but I also will never tell somebody that they shouldn't go make money. Um, but that's you know that's a different discussion. But he could be back as well. So now you're bringing back almost the entirety of the front seven, and you're going to add the guys that are redshirting right now, plus the influx of talent that's coming in this freshman class. And you know, going back to the to the Jeff Brom. Uh, radio show he talked about linebacker was a position that they wanted to look in the grad transfer market at to see if they could maybe find some more bodies so who knows it could be yeah, a lot was, of newcomers that was surprising to hear him say that because there's some young guys in that linebacker core on the roster now Jalen mm-hmm. alexander Derek barnes is in there cornell jones so to hear him say they might go the grad route i think was enlightening yeah, well, I think that they feel like Derek Barnes is at his best when he's the stand-up pass rusher. Yeah, we've talked about that. It's like Danny Ezechuku, right? And that exactly. Of, there's a name for it that the defensive guys use. I yeah, I think it's it. like Leo or something like, something like that. Some he, sort of he, hybrid. He stands up on the line and blitzes and comes at you. and, and He's better at I mean, that. And again, because he's a bit of a gambler. Right. And he's explosive. Man, is he, he explosive is. off the ball. The problem is, is that that linebacker position, sometimes he's explosive to the wrong gap. That's because he's guessing. Yeah, he's a gambler, like you said. You know, he's either going to get in the backfield and make a five-yard loss, or he's going to end up in the wrong gap and give up a 50-yard run. So a team that uh, six and 6-6 goes to bowl game for the second time in two years, um, a bit ahead of schedule, a lot of talent coming back. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to feel good about this group. I mean, yeah. Regardless of what bowl game we go to or, and what happens in that. And I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And that's just icing on the cake. A- after knowing three start, dropping three games that were winnable games, that we were all like, wow, what's going on here? Yeah. Beat three well, ranked teams this year. Beat the number, beat 
Ohio State, who I think was the number two team in the country at the time, weren't they? Yeah, and just blew the doors off of Michigan. Yes. Is there, any, is there anything Woo. better? Jim Hardball. Um, yeah, whatever. 0-4. 0-4 in uh, games against their hated rival. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, talking about that bowl game and kind of the the immediate future for the program, you know, we don't really know bowl game wise where they're going to be at. I've seen I've seen a couple different names thrown around. So what I did not realize, and I I noticed this as I was reading through, I think it was Sports Illustrated stuff. Teams cannot go back to the same bowl site back to back years. Unless... Yeah, so I, I think you mentioned that at dinner. Yes. Right, Friday yeah. night. We. Mm-hmm. I mean, the listeners don't really care, but we all went out to have, you know, have a bite to eat. Was it? Oh, it was Saturday night, I guess it was. Uh, yes. And you, yeah, and yeah. you talk, you talk, La Scala, right? Downtown. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. They're not paying us for a plug, but they're amazing. Yep. Um, and you mentioned that then. Yeah, we can't go back to the same one. Right. Unless it's a conference champion situation. So, like, you can go back to the Rose Bowl, something like that. Right. So, but the two, the two that I've seen tossed around are the, uh, the Pinstripe Bowl in, New York. Yep. And then I think it's the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. Is that the old – oh, boy. I think, yeah. I think that's the old Little Caesars Bowl. Yeah, it is the old Little Caesars Bowl. Um, the, also, which should have been just renamed as uh, the Danny Hope Bowl because that felt like that's where they were at every year when, when Danny was coaching. Don't look a bowl bid in the, in the mouth. Nope. No, no. You take you take whatever you take whatever bullpen they give you now. Yeah, but I think it's great. It's just it's it's great for recruiting. It's great for the guys on the team now, and mm -hmm. given the lows of where they were at previously, it's what a what a victory. Yeah, well, it's great for the young guys because now you get a month extra. Yeah, um, of practice and and getting those guys reps and, and, and so trying to help play, them. You can play some of those young guys and still redshirt them, right? If they're not over their four game limit. Correct. Yeah. Is that so, right? So mm-hmm. again, the Anderson juniors, those guys that we just talked about. Yeah. All those hey, guys at the safety, Corey Trice. Right. Fly yeah. ball. Mm-hmm. Right. Those guys can get some reps and uh, just see what you got there. And they get another month of practice. Yeah. And, and that's going to help uh, a young program that, feels like is on the rise momentum wise recruiting wise now the, the no more, doubt about that there's no right. doubt about that the more pressing matter of course is will jeff Brom be coaching in that bowl game uh he seemed pretty firm and pretty steadfast in his post-game comments talking about that he plans on you know he plans on being a part of the the future of purdue football uh, rondell moore had an interesting quote they asked him about it. He said, you know, I feel like if there was an issue, Coach would would let us know, and, and he told us not to worry about it. So I'm just going to kind of keep doing my thing. And from from what I know, um, from a couple of the people that I know within Purdue Athletics and and just from kind of reading the tea leaves of Coach Brom in these two years, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who comes out and is, isn't going to be anything but fairly honest with the media. You know, he's not going to come say, yeah, I plan on being here while in the, you know, behind the scenes he's working on leaving. Uh, he's not done it. He's not firmly, rebuff, you know, rebuff the advances of Louisville. And I, don't, I think he should at least listen to them. But it does kind of sound like he's leaning towards staying at Purdue. 
Yeah, I think every, you know, the past being a good predictor of future. Mm-hmm. Right. His past is that he's very transparent. He's very straightforward. He means what he says. He says what he means. If you look at his handling of the situation and his transition from Western Kentucky to our place. Yep. Um, he never misled anyone. He didn't play games. He didn't do a Nick Saban, right? Oh, I have right. no interest in being the coach at Alabama. And then two days then later is his name the coach at Alabama. Right. Right. I mean, that's not how this guy's wired. Uh, so you assume that uh, based off that, that's how he's going to do things moving forward. It would appear that um, he's going to listen yeah, to what Louisville has to say. But I would think based off what he's talking and the way he's talking, his inclination is he's going to stay. I think there's some challenges there for Louisville in that they've got some financial stuff. They've operated a significant deficit financially in their athletic department. And that's become apparent in the last couple of weeks. Like they're mm-hmm. in that operating loss. They're paying off big contracts. Yeah. They're going to have to pay out a huge buyout for Petrino. They're going to pay out a huge buyout potentially for Patino. Uh, coach has a huge buyout at Purdue. Yes. You know, I just think financially it might be very difficult for them at this mm-hmm. point in time. And so it may just not work out and, that sense uh there's a lot of reasons to stay i mean honestly Purdue's a much better job than louisville but it's an emotional concern and consideration for he and his family and so sure kind of got to throw some of that out louisville's not a better job by any stretch no louisville's not a great job right no you know you Um, don't have you know you don't have to play every year at purdue yeah clemson clemson yeah and um uh, i'm sure if you're listening to our podcast. I'm sure, I'm guessing you probably at least know that Clemson is very, very good. And also Clemson has a very young head coach who doesn't appear to be interested in going anywhere else. So I don't think Clemson's going to fall off the edge of a cliff. And I don't know about you. Soon. I think if I had to lay a wager today, I would wager on the side that he's going to stay at Purdue and he's going to try to build this thing. I would agree this, with you. Into something that's, you know, pretty special. And then I would guess he's going to jump to the NFL. Yeah. He's going to take his family with him and all of his crew, and they're going to make a bunch of money. And then they may end up in Louisville to try and save that shipwreck at the mm-hmm. end of their careers. Because, right. look, the Louisville job's a job that comes open about every four years. Yes. They ain't special. <laughs> okay. And it's home. And we've talked about this at length in previous podcasts. It's hard to go home. Home's not always the way you remember it. You may not like it once you get there. And I, I think all those things are probably playing into his mind. Hard to say what happens when on the next, you know, four to six weeks. And there's a lot of compelling reasons to stay right where you're at and keep the momentum moving forward. And I tell you, the win over IU and the bowl eligibility is a huge piece. Yeah, I I think that you hit it right on the head. You, there's there's momentum. And I think yeah. a lot of it, if you just look at that recruiting class, that 2019 recruiting class, you know, is George Karloftis going to go to Louisville? No. Probably he's, not. No, he's not. Is David Bell going to Louisville to his final list a month mm. before he commits? No, mm, probably no. not. He's trying to decide whether he's going to Columbus or West Lafayette. Frankly. Right, or Penn State. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, he's yeah. down He's down to three teams. You know, are the – or um, what is it? Marvin Grant and Jalen Graham, the two, two safeties from Detroit, are they going to travel all the way down to Louisville? No, yeah. probably not. They're going to open up their commitment and – yeah. And go elsewhere. You know, Milton Wright might be a guy who's gonna would stay home. 
And Ron man, I'll go. I'll go back to Milton Wright. Doesn't make his announcement when he makes his announcement. If there's without some doubt. sort of yeah, come on. I man. agree with you. And, and Rondell's probably not leaving Purdue <clears throat> and giving up a year eligibility. I wouldn't think so. So there's a lot of football reasons to stay. Purdue's in the process. I believe that they're going to put new scoreboards in, video boards this summer. Uh, I believe so that I, they're all, they're I also think, in the process of closing the south end zone up. Right, well, like there's a lot a lot of stuff going on. So I think it's out on Twitter now, and I think it's okay to talk about. It. There's an artist conception of what the new stadium project's going to look like. Yeah, have, it's, the, have you seen it? I have not seen it. Yeah, it's pretty. It, uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool what they're going to do to the south end zone and closing it in and doing some things with some luxury boxes and it's going to radically change the look of the stadium and it's it's going to be nice and so there's that's a huge piece for the coach right there's mm-hmm. a, a vision and a support there from the board of trustees and the alumni to make this thing happen yeah man that'd be hard to walk away from well and the other thing is is <clears throat> from what i've heard financially it's not going to be an issue the, whatever, said, what, but but you, i've said all along both sides of this it doesn't come down to money for either one no but i but in years past with purdue athletics money has been tight right the spending has been tight from what i what oh, i understand it's different yes yeah, self-imposed self, absolutely self-imposed this is also it also should be mentioned that this is the first year that the academic portion of purdue is not taking any money from the big 10 network revenue all yeah, of that's that a, money that's a, that's a huge piece that maybe folks out there in listenerville don't know understand or think about right all of that money which i believe don't quote me on this. Is somewhere around twenty million dollars per team or per school? Thirty. Thirty. Is it thirty? That's my understanding. Okay, so it's thirty, right? So now that is that's quite a bit of um, that's quite a bit of money coming in now and adding to the revenue stream. Right, you, you said it best. This is not going to be a financial or a football decision. This is an emotional decision. This is about whether or not you want to go coach at home. But I did. Yeah. I think it was interesting that he said, "I'm a fan of Louisville, but I'm the coach at Purdue right now." You know, I want yeah. them to do what's best for them. But that didn't hey. sound like to me like a guy who's real interested in leaving the spot he's in right now. He may be interested in renegotiating contract for himself and his assistants. Yeah, hey, which, which and hey, that's fine. That that's going to be something that's going to, you know, even if the Brom stuff settles down. Western Kentucky just fired their head coach. Brian Brom has been one of the first names to come out. Yeah. You know, Jamarcus Shepard has been a guy who's been on a lot of coaching circles radars for a long time as a rising star who might be looking to become an offensive coordinator. You know, the, they're going to be battles within to keep what is a very good staff. It's not just going to be the head coach. You know, it's trying to keep as many of these guys together as possible. So I could certainly see there being being some renegotiating contract wise. Uh, I think that Brom's been pretty apparent that he likes having his name out there in the mainstream media. He feels like it helps recruiting. Certainly doesn't hurt it. So they're ahead of schedule. I don't think any of us two years ago would have thought <clears throat> twelve wins and two bowl appearances in year two. Yeah. I mean, it was a much bigger rebuild project than what that would indicate. So they're way ahead of schedule, and they're way ahead of schedule on recruiting. And, boy, it would be fun to see him and his staff here in 
in their entirety to finish the job. We'll see what happens in the next month, month and a half. Yes, it's certainly Purdue football is in a much better place, and it's a mm. lot more fun to watch and talk about mm. than it was two, three years ago. Man, a lot. Understatement. Understatement. Yeah. So now going to basketball, uh, the Boilermakers back home. A uh, nice little easy post-Thanksgiving victory against Robert Morris. Uh, not a whole lot to take away from this game other than that Purdue's bench scored 37 points which I think speaks to some larger trends that we're going to find out a little bit more about this team as, as we head through the season. But it feels like this team is much deeper than last year's team was. Uh, yeah, this team's better than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, in a number of ways. They rebound way better than I thought they would. Mm-hmm. And they rebound way better than last year's team. And it's not yes. because of their size. No. It's because of want to and go get it and mm-hmm. desire. Mm-hmm. And they rebound out of a lot of different spots. It's not just the, you know, out of the bigs. They guard, they guard, they rebound out of the guard spot really well. Part of that's no gel. I think as a team collectively, they probably shoot it better. I'm counting six different guys who recorded an offensive rebound. Yeah, um, including Grady, who had five of them. Hey, say what you I mean, and I, I've been I've been key amongst people saying, look, if we're relying on Grady big time, we're in trouble, right? Grady's yeah. been great. Grady's Grady has done done exactly what this team needs him to do. We talked yes. about it early on in the in in this pod series. He's got to be really good and serviceable until about Christmas time, mm-hmm. and then we need Aaron Wheeler to be ready to play. Yeah. Um, but Grady's been wonderful. He rebounds. He doesn't – I heard Coach say it in an interview. It makes a lot of sense. Is Grady's value is not so much in what he does do. It's in what he doesn't do. Yeah. You know, he doesn't try to do anything that's out of his limits and screw you up. Right. Knocks down an open shot, makes hustle plays. He's solid defensively. Doesn't turn the ball over. Surprisingly, guards the post better than I thought he could at 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's a little undersized, but he's tough. Yeah. Understands positioning. He, he's been very serviceable. Evan Bordeaux is better than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you. Considerably better than I thought. He's acclimated to this, to big time Division One uh, style play faster than I thought he would. I think two other guys who who really have surprised me have both been Sasha Stefanovic and, and Eric Hunter, as well. Those those guys have been way ahead of where I thought they both would be as far as learning the system, getting accustomed to the speed and the physicality, you know, Eric, especially being a true freshman, you know, Sasha showed finally got some shots to drop and showed you that he's a really good shooter against Robert Morris. But I thought that the biggest thing was that Eric Hunter started to look for his offense a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I want Eric to do well. I think we need Eric to do well. Mm Mm-hmm. Eric's going to have to show it against somebody. It's a little stiffer competition than Robert Morris. Sure. He's capable. He comes in with a resume of being a scorer and a guy that can put the ball in the basket. We all know that. He shows it at times. I sense that he's trying very hard to fit in mm-hmm. and find his spot. And so I think that he somewhat uh, limits his, you know, his aggressiveness on the offensive end. Yeah. Trying to be unselfish and a good team guy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he needs to score basketball. Well, and he, 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 he can score. Go score the ball. 
Yes. And I think, like you said, that will come with time. Uh, it's He led the team in assists. He had six assists, <clears throat> four rebounds, <clears throat> one turnover. He made a great floor game. And, yeah, and I think great. He, he played 22 minutes. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, he's yeah. playing a lot. And so, you know, his continued development. And sure, I, I understand where you're coming from with need to see him do it against somebody that's a little stiffer competition than Robert Morris. But the fact yeah. that he did, he was able to do it against Robert Morris and he felt comfortable and you could tell he was a little bit more confident in, in trying to score, that's just as important to me in his development. Because he I can need, shoot, he can shoot the ball. I, I mean, need, that's evident. He can shoot it. I need to see him believe that he can go and score. You know, mm-hmm. even if even if he goes out, takes five, six shots, and misses all of them, you have to continue to put the ball up. You're a gifted. He's a gifted scorer, and they're going to need him come March, come Big Ten play, which is rapidly approaching. Well, yeah, right. I mean, the next four or five game stretch is going to actually be very revealing yes. in a lot of ways for mm-hmm. a lot of guys, but uh, if for Eric particularly, you know. And I think about well, who I think is probably the cream of the crop in the Big Ten, and that's Michigan. Yeah. And uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how he does physically with, you know, a Matthews, a Poole, a Livers, um, mm-hmm. Xavier Simpson, those guys. Uh, matched up with him physically, but yeah. he needs to be more assertive. He's trying to fit in. He needs to be more of a threat. Well, you talked about that five-game stretch, and you talked specifically about Michigan. You're going to find out on Saturday because here's here's the next five games for Purdue: at Florida State on Wednesday, at Michigan on Saturday, home next third, you know, a week from then. Home on Thursday, December sixth against Maryland. On the road Sunday at Texas, and then at a neutral site game in Indianapolis against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. All of those teams have athletic guards and mm-hmm. big physical guards, and you're gonna. There's gonna be a, a growth, and a, we're gonna find out a lot about this team. Very easily could lose every single one of those games. Yes, absolutely. Easily. Easily could lose them all. And just on the same coin, I wouldn't be overly shocked if they won them all, too. Um, no, I think wouldn't that's less probable than losing them all. I agree. No, I agree with that. I think the reality is, is to split, <laughs> you know, and go about 50 50. Yeah. They, well, they need to get through this stretch about <clears> three and two. <throat> That'd be great. They need to That'd split. They need to split. They need to beat Notre Dame on the tail end. They need to split the at Texas, at Florida State, and then you need to split the Maryland and Michigan games. Michigan's going to be really hard. Maryland, not so hard. Uh, yeah. yeah. Turgeon may be a dead, dead man walking for the Terrapins. But he hasn't had the success there that people would hope. No. No. Um, but Florida State, you know, Leonard Hamilton, I think, is one of the underrated coaches in college mm-hmm. basketball. Agreed. Uh, Leonard Hamilton also does not believe in playing anybody who's not 6'8 or taller. Uh, I say that half jokingly. <laughs> if you look at their roster, is they got a lot of big, big dudes. I think they include, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but uh, Matumbo's nephew or somebody yeah. who's yeah, like 7'4. Um, they've got a lot of size. They're very long. They're very athletic. They will cause problems. And it will They're be... need Matt Harms to be good. He can't be MIA. He's been a little non-existent. Yes. Uh, it will uh, be It'll be an excellent test for Bordeaux as well. Uh, yeah, because he's going to be undersized. Yeah. 
and yeah. and we've kind of talked about there's a difference about when you're six eight and you're guarding a six ten dude who's only two inches taller than you. Well, now you put the seven three seven four dude out there, and it's a whole right. other ball game. Right. Well, you got to put pressure on the ball. Yes. No yeah. matter how open the post is, if you can't see them because you're getting ate up on the perimeter, they're not going to be open. And they will. Need, we got. We got to have ball pressure. Yes, and they, they will need Nogel to be good and to stay out of foul trouble, which he was mm-hmm. not able to do against Virginia Tech. No, he wasn't. Uh, he's going to have to <clears throat> stay out of that foul trouble. Uh, Michigan's a really good team. Texas with Shaka Smart, they've got a lot of athletic bigs and some size. Yeah. Um, uh, Kerwin Roach, I think, is his name. The guard is a very high-scoring guard. Yep. Uh, make no mistake, Carson Edwards is going to walk into that arena with a little chip on his shoulder. Mm, he's going home. Right, and he's going to want to show out. Yep, uh, a little bit like Markel Jones in the, in the Indiana the last couple of years. Yes. Right. Go back to football. Markel Jones, a Hoosier killer, man. Yeah. Well, that's because uh, he he <laughs> talked about he talked about it. He said, uh, "quote He he runs pissed off." Yeah. Well, because um, they nice never recruited see. him. They never offered. No, him they didn't want anything to do with him coming out of Columbus. Right. Which he scored like sixty touchdowns as a senior. I don't know why you wouldn't want him, but that's why I don't coach football. I guess. Um. So yeah, I mean, a little bit of the same motivation for Carson going back to Texas. Mm-hmm. But that's going to – and then Notre Dame, Mike Bray's team is reloading. Uh, they lost yeah. a lot from last year's squad. But that still is a dangerous team. That Crossroad Classics game has not historically been super kind to the Boilers. No, nah, we haven't – no, we've not played great in that thing. But if they're able to get a win there to kind of cap that five-game streak, you certainly feel really good about where this team will be at headed down the stretch. So who do you think play. we need to be good in that five-game stretch? Well, I think you take take the obvious guys out of there, right? So take Carson and take Ryan out because that's – Yeah, need them to be good every game. Right. I think Matt Harms has to be good. I think that Eric is going to have to score a little bit, give him some scoring punch. And I think Aaron Wheeler is going to have to put together a couple good games here, whether that's knocking down shots, whether that's just being – athletic and, and getting to the rim and making some hustle plays. Yeah. I think that Eric Hunter needs to stop trying to dribble and pull up and shoot the ball. I think at some point and at some point <clears throat> in his development that shot could be there. That point is not right now. He needs to be a spot up three guy and, and be a hustle hustle player. Yeah, I think yeah, I agree with you. Aaron, Aaron Wheeler needs to spend less time watching Carson and hit Carson's game. Yeah. And more time watching Evan and Evan's game. Yes. Because, you know, he's, he's a stretch four. Yeah. yeah Dude, that's, your, that's your role. And get over the pain allergy. Get in there and mix it up. Use your athleticism. Get some boards and finish. Right. Well, I, you know, I just – he just needs to you know, be a spot-up shooter, which he's shown. In when his some feet capacity. are set, he's not, he's not bad when his feet are set. Right. I think that Sasha hitting a couple threes could help his confidence. You know, really anybody coming off the bench, I think they're going to need – they're going to – you have to be able to answer the question of, okay, like like really Carson, Ryan, and Matt are the only guys who have proven that they can play well against high-level competition. Everybody else is a total unknown. Yeah, well, that's why this four- or five-game stretch is huge. Bro. Right. So I think you could say anybody – and even Matt is important because he's got to he's got to produce at a higher level than he has this season. 
Yeah. But really, I mean, can they – what happens if they don't shoot the ball well, right? That's the other question. Although I don't, I don't think that's going to be as much of a problem this year because they've got everybody outside of Nogel can shoot the ball. And so, yeah, they've got more shooters than they had a year ago. Right, and so it's going to be really tough to find a night where they're all off. Yeah, it happens. It could happen, and you know what? They're going to lose those games when it does happen. Probably. Probably. But yeah. we'll see if they're able to handle the hostile environments. It's a true road game. On Wednesday for for a lot of the new guys. Uh, so let's make our predictions for this five game stretch. I think that they're oh, I, uh, Florida State up or down. I say that's a win. Okay, I agree. Michigan loss. Agreed. Maryland win. Yeah, I agreed. I I don't think Mark Turgeon's going to out coach anybody. Uh, Texas. I think that's a loss. <laughs> Yeah, I suspect as well. So two and two, and then go for the you know the rubber match at Notre Dame on the road. Yeah, in Indianapolis. I think, I think that's a win. Yeah, I do too. I think they come. I'm, so we're on the same page. They come out of this thing three and two. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they they emerge uh, eight and three coming out of this little stretch, and then we're into late December, and we got Ohio. Yep, Ohio, Belmont, and then I think it's Iowa and Michigan State. So. Yeah, I think they could be eleven and three going into that uh, Michigan State game. I think eleven and three is <clears throat> is really good, a good spot to be at. I think twenty is kind of the magic number for this team as far as making the tournament. Yeah, I think you and I both have said that along. That's kind of the benchmark. Yeah, and I think that if you get if you get to Iowa, what eleven and three, twenty yeah. is is definitely within reach. Yeah, because uh, you know, I, Wisconsin's beatable, Rutgers are beatable, Iowa's beatable, Indiana's got injuries and they're beatable. Ohio yeah. State's good but not untouchable. Michigan State's unbelievable. Penn State is you know decent. Yeah. Minnesota's a bit of a train wreck. Right. Nebraska's <clears throat> not. They're okay. They're, they're okay. okay. Yeah, but they're not unbeatable. I mean, yeah. really, only Michigan, Michigan State are the two that I look at and just go. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, Illinois, I think, will give people a lot of trouble, too. Yeah, um, they're feast or famine, though, I think, right? I yeah. If they shoot it, if they don't shoot it, they're easily beatable. If they shoot it, watch out. Well, I mean, what team isn't that way, though? I think Michigan State can beat you without shooting it well. I, okay, yeah, fair. And, and Wisconsin, because Wisconsin is playing caveman basketball, and you should never watch a Wisconsin game that you don't have to. And well, you they certainly, certainly they don't want it to be. They don't want it to be an up and down. That Virginia Wisconsin game should have been a, a crime, and people people should have been punished, fined for that being allowed to be on television. That's not basketball. Well, come on now. No, it's that's maybe a little. That's that's ugly. Fifty six, forty four, whatever it was, is. Not well, fun. there's a reason why, uh, you know, Coach Bennett and Coach Gard don't have great tournament success. Yes. And it's because that style of ball doesn't translate well to the tournament. No, it does not. No, I mean, it, it just doesn't. And <clears throat> that's good for getting you a two seed and getting upset that <laughs> weekend. Yep. Or so. getting the one seed and getting bounced by a small school in Baltimore. Yeah. <clears throat> Who plays up and down and gets yep. after it. But. Yeah. 
So, yeah, 20 wins would be great. You got to stay healthy. Guys got to get improve each week. Defensively, they got to get better. Mm-hmm. Aaron Wheeler and Eric Condor are lost defensively. Yeah. At times, is lost. They just don't know yet. They don't understand. No, it's just going to take time. There's, there's nothing that you can do. Sasha gets lost defensively at times too, man. Yeah, but and there's and there's nothing you can do except put them out there and let them learn. Right. There's no magic. There's no magic button. There's no drill. There's, there's no, there's nothing other than just experience, and they'll learn. A lot of guys have learned. Been a lot of, lot of really bad defenders their freshman year who have ended up being pretty good at Purdue. Uh, Dakota Matthias. Dakota Matthias. Rayfield Davis couldn't, Rayfield Davis couldn't guard anybody with a pulse when he got here. He ended up being Ray. Good. Ray and Dakota both, I think, had played nothing but zone. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, I know when I when when Ray was at Southside in Fort Wayne, I was still coaching. Yeah, I mean that's all they played. Right. Was, uh, Ryan Ryan Bond, I think, was there at that time. You know, and Ray when I think did he go to Lumiere? Yeah, I think he went there after his like sophomore year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he. I mean he might have learned. I can't imagine he learned to play any man to man there, but maybe he did. But, right. I mean those guys didn't know they learned. Yeah, and he, and these young guys can learn too. Sure. Time. And here and here's the thing <clears throat> that I have been really really encouraged by. All three of those guys play really hard. Oh, there's no doubt. And they're flying around in their high intensity, and that's fine with me. If they're gonna make yeah. they're gonna make mistakes on defense, that's fine. But they're hustling and they're trying to make plays, and that's that's going to recover. That's going to it's going to be okay. Like they're going to attack the glass. They're going to do, you know. Sasha Stefanovic had six rebounds in like seven minutes or seventeen minutes. Yeah, like those those guys are going to be high energy, and that's contagious. And lots of reason for optimism. Yes, yes, there yeah. is. So real quick, uh, we got a couple of listener questions. Um, this one comes from, I believe it's Jimmy and Terre Haute. Uh, Jimmy is very loosely trying to connect this to Purdue sports, but you and I are both golf guys, so we'll we'll entertain his vaguely connected question. Given that Purdue's golf courses were designed by legendary Pete Dye, and given that both Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson have won tournaments on his golf courses, what do you make of their $9 million match last Friday? For those of you who are not aware, uh, Tiger Woods and um, Phil Mickelson both played a match for $9 million on Friday. It was pay-per-view, but it was also streamed for free on Bleacher Report. Uh, it was not nearly as good as I think people thought it would be. That's just my opinion. I'm a golf guy. I didn't watch it. So yeah, it, neither am I. I'm not a golf guy, <clears throat> or I'm a golf guy, and yeah. I didn't watch it either. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's loosely based off of the old Shell World of Golf series. Mm-hmm. That ran in like the late fifties, early sixties. You can go on YouTube, you can see it, and it's actually, if you're into the game, it's it's really pretty fascinating. Sam Snead, Hogan, I mean, a lot of the great legends of the game playing. Yeah. Um, now I don't. At least they didn't publicize it back then that there was money and wagering on it like there was in this thing. But I look, man, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are yesterday's news when it comes to pro golf. Yes. Um, yeah. Their careers have passed them by. Yeah. You know, so if you want to do something, you probably better get more relevant contemporary players in today's game. Yeah, I don't don't know what that's got to do with Purdue. I don't know. Jimmy, like I said, Jimmy very loosely trying to connect it to the 
the Pete Dye courses close to campus? Well, I'll tell you as a Purdue guy, it's really cool that, you know, our university has two courses that were designed and renovated by Mr. Dye. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Mr. Dye's not in great health. No. Um, there's not going to be any more Pete Dye designs. And so the Burke, the Burke complex is a pretty special thing. That's pretty cool. Set Purdue is apart, but, I guess that's relevant to what we're doing. What's yeah. the other question? The other question comes from Alex in Indianapolis. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit already. But Alex asked, should Jeff Brom d- decide to leave? <clears throat> Where d- is Purdue a better job now than it was when Daryl Hazel was fired? Mm-hmm. And, and why? You go first. Well, I think it's absolutely a better job i think that the financial commitment is light years ahead of where it was at we kind of talked about the university the new plans for the stadium uh, the renovations the new football facility that was just built uh recruiting has has definitely had an uptick uh, rondell moore is going to be here for another two years after this one that helps any coach that's coming in and i think that it's just it's a better job than than what it was it's a much better job than what it was two years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that if Brom leaves, the next guy comes in and immediately wins 10 games. I think that it's still a rebuild because you still have to restock the shelf, but certainly in a much better position than they were three years ago. Yeah, I agree. If you had to go out to the open market to fill a position, you've got a little bit better package to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, from a baseline talent standpoint, from an alumni um, fan base engagement, you know, there's a buzz about the program. We're going to the second bowl game. The, the support's there from the John Purdue Club and, and those folks and the boosters. Um, there's evident support from the administration and the board of trustees. I think that's critical. Um, it wasn't the case prior yep i think you know i don't know the full truth on all that and there's probably multiple explanations to why some things were the way they were um but the level of support from the administration and from the board of trustees is different today than it was then Mm -hmm. uh evidenced by the fact that the big 10 money all flows to the department and stays there i think uh former university president cordova had some of that siphoning off to the general fund of the university and that's no longer the case so i I think it's no doubt it's in a better shape for a multitude of reasons right not any one thing and not to cast stones at what was done before but clearly what was done before wasn't conducive to success what's being done now is yeah it when you're when you're one of the few self-sufficient athletic departments in the country and you're having some of your revenue siphoned off by the academic institution it's really hard to to be in that competitive atmosphere with one hand tied behind your back. And I think it'd be fascinating to be able to ask president Daniels um, about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I have immense respect for him and the job that he's done and his role at Purdue. Uh, He was pretty well um, on record with saying that he did not have an interest in getting into the quote unquote athletics arms race. Mm -hmm. And early in his tenure, certainly I know said that rather vociferously uh, appears to have changed his mind a little bit. And I mean, we're not in an arms race, but I think there's an acknowledgement that 
from a marketing branding standpoint, your athletic department is the biggest billboard you own. Yes. As a university and as a business, and you ignore that at your own peril. I think it'd be interesting to sit down with a cup of coffee and just ask him, you know, has your philosophy changed? Maybe it's not. I, you know, I don't know. Um, from actions from very far, a far distance, right? It would appear that maybe that philosophy has changed a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he has, if even if it's just something as simple as allowing the athletic department to keep all the revenue, he's allowed them to at least bring the facilities and the competitive environment to the point where you're can where you're competitive with everyone. Yes. Coaches' salaries. Assistant, coaches' salaries. Well, assistant, assistant coaches. coaches. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, support staff. You know, the, yeah. your strength and conditioning programs, your health and nutrition, you know, the uh, the marketing, the digital video yeah. content, all the stuff you yeah. see on Twitter, Facebook, at yeah. the media timeouts, all of that stuff is a result of, of Mike Babinski and uh, Mitch Daniels, you know, starting to – spend some of the resources that Purdue has, and it has definitely yielded some early positive results. Maybe well, we can go have a cup of coffee with Mr. Daniels and ask him that. I think that'd be awesome. I think it would be too. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that, I don't know that he would, uh, he would do it on the record, but it certainly would be fascinating just for the sake of yeah, our own curiosity. Monday morning boilers are probably not high on his to-do list. Probably not, but uh, President Daniels, if you're out there listening, we appreciate it. Send in some questions. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at MMB or MM Boilers. Once again, that's at MM Boilers. Uh, send us emails at Monday Morning Boilers Gmail or at yeah, you, you know you know what to do. Be sure to send yeah, us questions. We're str- gonna... struggling with that tonight. Yeah, well you know I'm I'm running out I'm running out of wind here. It's ten o'clock. It's time for me to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, Once again, thank you for listening. Be sure to comment, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your fellow Boilermakers. We're going to continue to solicit questions from the fan base. We're going to probably start doing – start that on Fridays and kind of let it run through up until we record. Uh, So once again, thank you for listening. Hope everyone had a wonderful holiday. Be sure to cheer on the Boilermakers this week as they're in Florida State. And as always, boiler up. And hammer down.